So, it is a great honour and privilege that today I get to invite literally one of my dream guests. So today, I have Mo Gardat with us, the former Chief Business Officer of Google X, three times best-selling author, number one podcast host, founder of One Billion Happy, co-founder of Unstressable, Chief AI Officer at Flight Story, and genuinely one of the most intelligent, kind people in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my Well done. That's impressive. I feel so much pressure, honestly. No, don't. You no, can't no, feel I, worse I'm than saying, me. I'm absolutely This was sweating. amazing. This is better than my podcast. No. Yeah. I'm, I swear I was sitting there going like, what the hell are you doing? I said, so, for anyone that doesn't, Mo, Mo oh and God, I. Oh my God, there she is. I love her so much. There yeah, she's Lorata. Oh my God, you're amazing. You? Yeah? Oh my God, you love me Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> she's the best. Oh my God. So you feel like I'm gonna cry, you're gonna make me cry. This is incredible, honestly. This is incredible, and you're such a, an amazing host. Thank you. I mean, we don't actually really. So, so, so the, the whole setup was I had no idea what I'm doing here. This I, is I true. Really, honestly, I mean, I was just telling Will, I have no idea why I'm here. I mean, she, she, she showed up and said, You should trust me. And somehow in my heart, I said, I think I should. Yeah, so actually, what happened is. So Mo was on my dream guest list, and I thought, oh, she's never going to answer me. So I emailed his team, and they never got back to me. And I thought, oh, do you know what? God loves a try. So I reached out to him on Instagram, and he wrote back. And I remember being on the phone to Mario's in this room. I said, I've got to go because I'm talking to someone on Instagram. And we were chatting, and he said, look, you know, unfortunately, he does the main podcast because he spreads his message most effectively, and maybe in a few years or whatever, he'll come on the show. And I said, well, no, you're going to come on the show. <laughs> and... Um, we spoke about some charitable stuff and this man has taken a chance on me and for that I will be forever grateful and to have a, someone like you here is just... I think you're taking a chance on me, honestly. <laughs> I, I honestly do. So I, I will tell you, if you keep doing it this way, you'll, you'll be there, whatever We're there getting is. there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> so listen, like with all of my guests, come on, James. Technical error or not? Oh. How cute. Baby Mo. <laughs> right, listen, like, I'm actually some not sure you this know is my Mo, photo. if you do. <laughs> I honestly am not sure if it's my photo. I mean, you see me it. I know, but I am, our family are all identical. So, okay. so one, this is a Garda. It's, it's We've got us. a Garda. Yeah, okay, yeah, it could cool. be my son, it could be me, it could be my dad. I have no idea. Yeah, you look cute. Yeah. Um, it looks really old, so it must be my dad. When, when you said yes to coming on the show, I was like panicking a bit because I thought, oh, for God's sake, he's got so much about him that I just don't know where to start because you from do such remarkable people. work. So let's take it from the top. Can you tell me how this young little boy from Egypt ends up as the chief business officer at Google X? Pure luck. 100% pure luck. It's not like I didn't work my ass off. Yeah. Okay. But without pure luck, I wouldn't be there. I mean, I, I, I never said this in public. But I, when, I, when I got the call for Google, I had just promoted one of my team at Microsoft who just had a baby. He was a German guy, Florian, wonderful human being. He uh, wanted, he was running my Eastern uh, European business. 
and he uh, wanted to stay with his kid, so he didn't want to travel across the region. So I talk, spoke to the German general manager, and he hired him in the German organization. So we were sitting uh, on, at a cafe, and I just told him the news. Congratulations, you're going to be in Germany. And he was so happy, called his wife, then put his phone down, and the phone rings, and someone is hiring him for Google. Okay, So he literally says, Oh, no, 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 I don't want to keep traveling anymore, but I know the exact right guy. And he hands the phone over to me, okay? And a, a woman was talking to me on the other side, Agnieszka is still one of my best friends ever. And she says, uh, and you are? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> okay? And, and so I, I asked Florian, what is this about? And, and he says, oh, she wants a, a head of emerging markets for an internet company, right? And I promise you, I said, oh, uh, I'm really grateful, but thank you, I'm not interested. Oh. Okay? And she said, uh, I'm Florian's boss, and I thank you, I'm not interested. Okay? And she says, no, hold on, hold on. This is the largest search engine business in the world. And I'm, that's not really hiding it. Huh? She's basically saying, you're being hired for Google. And I said, yeah, but you know, I'm financially independent. I'm tired of the corporate world. I don't want to do this anymore. Right? And she said, are you stupid? <laughs> I swear I'm not making this up. She said, are you stupid? I'm talking about Google, go meet them, right? And my entire life went from there. So the reason you know me is because Agnishka told me, are you stupid? And she was right, I was stupid, okay? But, but, that, but, but anyone who will tell you that they made their own life up is lying. Is an arrogant, egocentric person. Each and everyone that's ever made it had strokes of luck on the way. Well, the way I define luck, I think, is like when hard work meets opportunity because you've got to have worked to a certain place to have got that opportunity. Do you know what I mean? No. Uh, yes, I do. I know what yeah. you mean, but that's not my definition. So I, I wrote, when Ali uh, died, I wrote Soul for Happy, and then I wrote a book that I never published. It was called Understanding Fate. Oh, wow. and, I, and I did uh, a, a mathemat the mathematics of fate, if you want. And of course, if you, if you really look deeply at fate, you have to understand luck, right? And so I did an experiment, like a, a good scientist would. And I told myself, so what is luck? Hmm? And I, I said, let's measure it. I said to myself, let me find uh, US dollar cents. You know, the, the bronze ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And within the next three weeks, I found 137 of them. Right? I found them in India. I found them on the, in the shopping malls. In, 137? In 137 in three weeks. Right? So I told myself, interesting, once I paid attention to US dollar cents, yeah. they started to pop up. Right? So I said, wrong choice, I should look for jewelry. Yeah. <laughs> okay? And I did. So I, I basically told myself, I, I said, one day I will spend that day looking for jewelry. And so I remember vividly, I was on Broadway in New York. Okay? And you, you know how busy Broadway can yeah. be. My back to the wall and what looked like, I don't know if it's, I still have it, but I don't know if it's genuine, what looked like an antique diamond ring with a big diamond okay, on the ground that I saw literally for 15 minutes after I started the experiment. And I stood next to it with my back to the wall and counted 75 people walking by it, right? From a mathematics point of view, every single one of those 75 had a 100% chance of finding it, that they crossed it, okay? As much chance as I had. Mm. Hmm? The only difference is I was looking for it. I was expecting it, okay? So interestingly, my definition of luck is an openness to the opportunities that life would send your way, okay? And, and your, your 
life will 100% send all of us opportunities. Everyone that walked Broadway that day had the same exact opportunity to see that thing. I saw it because I expected life to send it to me. Okay? Right. And it's quite interesting when you start to understand luck that way because basically, you know, that it's funny, but they tell you if you buy a lottery ticket, you're not, go you're not necessarily going to win, but if you don't, you're surely not going to. Right? And I think the idea is that we humans somehow are trained to believe that life is against us. When in reality, life is on your side all the time. It's just that you're not paying attention, right? You're not paying attention when that some nice someone shows up in your life and might be actually the right person, but you're traumatized by the, the, the previous four, so you don't give them a chance. You're not paying attention when you know someone shows up and say, hey, I'll help you with your charity and come to my podcast. Sometimes when you think about those things, you go like, why not? I'm in London, she seems wonderful, let's see. Let's see what comes out of this, right? Yeah. And I'm already inspired, already touched. It's been an enjoyable experience already. <laughs> so why you. not, right? Yeah. And I think that's the game. Huh? Mm. The, the game of luck is that idea of suddenly befriending life and saying, okay, I know you're going to slap me a couple of times. I'm going to slap you back, right? Mm. But at the same time, I know that you're going to have rings on the, on the road for me. So I'm looking for them. Yeah, it's like we, I think for me, and I can only speak on my behalf and obviously speaking to my guests, we're all like, oh no, this is going to happen, it's going to be awful, but yeah, stuff is going to happen. 100%. Like, and I think the more I'm like, oh, this is, something is going to go wrong. Like, even when it came to doing today, I was like, something's going to mess up. And bless Charlotte, she was here, she was helping me. I was like, I feel so weird. She was like, why? I was like, nothing's gone wrong. I'm expecting a phone call, like someone's died. That's why I've not had any bad news. I was like literally so prepared. I mean, your slippers went wrong. Well, I just didn't want, I just didn't want to knock over the table I mean, or I, anything. I'm helping Mo. you with my shoes. Look yeah. at how ugly those are. I love the T-shirt. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I they, thought they, Supporting the merch. So it's very, very, um, very um, elegantly. She just left it on my seat. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that the hint? Not, that? not pushing at all. <laughs> yeah. So let's strip it back to that moment. So you walk in to the Google offices. Yeah, and, and I, they flipped my mind upside down. Yeah. So I, I walked in. The first person I met is Dennis Woodside, still one of my uh, favorite, favorite, favorite uh, professionals I ever worked with. Committed, dedicated, incredibly smart. And Dennis and I, I, was, I used to work at Microsoft at the beginning. And, uh, you know, when I was interviewing and, and Dennis was running what had started what was known as emerging markets. He had 12 employees in three countries. And so we sit down and I say, look, Dennis, there is a lot of confidential stuff between us. So, you know, how do we have this conversation about, you know, you, I can't tell you about Microsoft. And so I can't impress you. And you shouldn't tell me anything about Google. You're our top competitor. And he said, yeah, that's puzzling. Uh, very typical, Dennis. Uh, uh, not a great answer, if you ask me. And then I said, okay, if it's in the news, we talk about it. If it isn't in the news, we don't. Right? And literally six minutes after that, Dennis was on a whiteboard, okay, mm. explaining his entire strategy to me. Oh, okay. so no NDA then. <laughs> Completely got to it. Comple completely ex explaining, you know, which emerging markets and why not. And sadly, I was on the whiteboard next to him. Okay, saying, no, no, but you don't understand, you know, the Israeli market is not going to work this way. You know, the Middle East needs that. You know, wh why didn't you choose the, this for Poland? What's happening with Russia? And I knew emerging markets inside out and his passion, okay, about all of that stuff. And the way he was talking about it was very different than what we did in Microsoft. 
So in Microsoft, we were very, very, and Microsoft is an amazing company, by all means, an amazing place. But in Microsoft, we thought of the business, and the business led to the results, right? At Google, they were entirely around, you know, okay, so there are 60 million people living here and 70 million people living here, and they don't have access to information. We need to get them access to information. And like Larry Page used to say, to teach us our CEO, he calls it the toothbrush test. He was yeah. basically saying, look, if you solve the problem for those people, which the, our defined problem was access to information, then the business will follow. It was such a refreshing, Perspective. completely aligned to my value system. They were basically saying, if you earn it hmm, by giving them a good product that they count on every day, then the money will follow. And that just that, that tiny flip, I could see around 15 minutes into this conversation, Dennis walking out of the office to go to his boss and say, don't leave, you have to leave to meet this guy. And I'm texting my wife saying, I think I'm going to take that job, right? It was a complete love at first sight. And I have to say, I've never felt more aligned in my life because this was a company, the early Google, where, where I was completely convinced that if I did something that was good for humanity, that my bosses would support me, yeah. okay? And, and I, that, that to me, again, luck, because when you really think about it, you may think that I'm doing well with one billion happy or my effort or AI and so on. I will tell you until now, the most profound impact I ever had on the world was emerging markets. So I, I started half of Google's businesses globally. And wow. that's 103 languages, four billion people. Okay, and if you grew up in emerging markets like me, no access to information whatsoever, no democracy, no um, um, transparency, and suddenly you get access to knowledge. Yeah. It's the biggest gift ever. So then shortly after, so when you were at Google X, it was like the head of innovation, wasn't it? With all the stuff that was then I was going. the head of business. Yeah, head so, of business. So, so the innovation was abundant at Google X. Yeah. Uh, but innovation in itself doesn't change the world. So what I wanted to know is like, when people are coming to you with ideas, like all these ideas for AI, like we can do this, we can do that. What was kind of in the manifesto? Did it just have to be lucrative? Because there's a... Is that, is that what happened? So, so Google X is known for what is known uh, as the moonshot factory, basically. We, we, we so, we've somehow found a way to make innovation predictable. So innovation is a very chaotic process, right? You have to try things and things will break, and, right? And, and, uh, and uh, when I was hired, Sergey Brin was running, uh, our co Google's co-founder was running Google X, and he basically hired, we, we worked together many, many times in our career. And, and he, he basically was saying, we're inventing so many things and no one wants to take them, okay? And, and honestly, when you really think about it, innovation alone is not enough because you have to innovate for a problem, yeah. okay? You have to innovate in a way that the people will accept. And, and, pay. And, and pay or not, as we agreed, if it solves their problem, they'll pay eventually or someone else will pay. And I, and I think the reality was my role was simply to land those innovations in the real world. So, so, so my approach was very straightforward. I was basically saying, look, you can invent something or at least think of inventing it and then consult with me, okay? So I tell you what the real world wants and then we meet somewhere in the middle. Example, uh, Project Loon. I don't know if everyone knows Loon, but Loon was uh, high altitude balloons that would provide the internet everywhere in planet Earth, right? Incredible technology, incredible. Uh, and and you know, the original Loon idea was we're going to have free Wi-Fi for the entire world, okay. okay? Which is lovely, 
when you really think about it. But it would mean that Vodafone and every other telco on the planet will consider you your number, their number one enemy. Okay, yeah. that it will cut the Google business itself because they will start to throttle your network, and that it will basically run uh, a billion or a uh, hundred million people out of work because if the telcos shut down, those economies decline completely. Right? It's basically a very monopoly-like work where you say, I have the power, I can invest. And, and by the way, Wi-Fi was not reliable at all. Right? At the time, Loon was estimated to be a billion dollars business within 12 years of its inception. So I worked with them and I said, why don't we build towers okay, that the telcos can use to provide access to the places that they don't have access in. And those towers could literally fit within their networks by adding more towers at a, low, a low, at a low cost, internet will be cheaper for everyone. It's not really free, but it's still a lot cheaper. Affordable. Okay? And it's win, 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 win. A tiny, tiny little change. Okay? How did that go? And, and within around six months of that, we started to get telcos interested to pay us $2.4 billion and $6 billion and so on. Because we were solving a mega problem for them. That was solving, I mean, Loon eventually ended because we would move too slow. But the promise was different. Now, you said, so how did innovation work? Yeah. The trick was, if you asked me as a businessman, I would have only invented the stuff that actually sells. It's not innovation. If you had asked the engineers, they had invented anything. Like it's, it's like kids in a sandpit playing with toys and having a, the time of their life. And they wouldn't care about anything that works or not. Yeah. Okay. And so we had a very simple process. So the moonshot process was simply uh, genius in my view. We basically agreed that it doesn't cost much to mess around two to three weeks within the process, two months within the process. But once you get attached to a product, you start to spend hundreds of millions, billions, and so on, and you get too attached, then it becomes too expensive. Yeah. So we worked on a process that was very straightforward. Every idea is accepted if it met you know, the, law, the laws of physics. If it was by the laws of physics possible, we would say, yeah, we'll give it a try. Some of those ideas lived for 30 minutes, okay? <laughs> and some of them lived for three weeks. But okay. within three weeks, if they didn't prove that they have feet to stand on, we would simply shut them down and reward the team, give the team a bonus publicly yeah. for having failed, and then tell them to go think of something else. So how was Bard, Bard the, the robot? Oh, yeah. I, need to, I want to hear about these because I'm so, fascinated. So Bard is like ChatGPT, but from Google. And you know, if you've, if you've looked at today's world, uh, 2023 is what I call the Netscape moment, basically. If any of you is old enough to have lived the time when Netscape came, uh, the internet had existed 15 years before that, right? Uh, but we only knew that the internet existed when we had the first browser, okay? Similarly, ChatGPT this year opens your eyes that AI exists. Well, I had incredible AIs in 2008. So was BARD a physical machine? No, BARD is a form of intelligence. So, so we had the, 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 the flow of AI went through multiple stages. The first stage where we failed and failed and failed. I mean, you have to imagine that this eight-year-old kid yeah. mm, was actually trying to code AI. That was what I was doing. I, I, wow. loved, I loved mathematics and code, and my lifetime dream was to build an intelligent machine. Every, every serious geek dreamt of building a, a, an intelligent machine. 
And we failed. Why did we fail? Because we didn't have compute, we didn't have memory, we didn't have knowledge, we didn't have the information that the internet gave us. So it doesn't matter how many times I tried, if I wrote the best code, the, the, the machine I had wasn't able to be intelligent. Mm. Then by the year 2000, uh, actually from here in the UK is one of the very first powerful initiatives, DeepMind. Uh, and, and, and we find, found out that with enough information, you don't need to teach computers anything. Okay? And so, so this is really, most people don't understand what AI is. If I gave you a very difficult puzzle, yeah. and then I stood next to you and I said, okay, put the blue piece first, then turn the red piece and put it next to it, and you solved the puzzle, yeah. you're a very good mechanical Turk. Yeah. Okay? But you're not, you're not using your intelligence. No. If I gave you the puzzle and I said, there you go. keep trying, keep trying, you have all the time in the world, and you eventually f found the solution, then you're intelligent. So right. the first is the way we coded computers until the year 2000. The latter is how we code AI. We don't tell, when I, when I coded until the year 2000, I solved the problem first, and then I told the computer how to do it, right. okay? When we started with deep learning, we actually don't learn to tell the computer how to do it. We just give them enough time and patterns so that they learn. So you would, one of the most famous uh, researches on this was that, what was known as the CAT paper. Okay. okay. And that was 2007, 2008. The paper came out in 2009 where Google basically had a, a bunch of computers. We had a lot of spare capacity because of the peaks and troughs of the internet. And so we had a bunch, a bunch of computers and we told them to go and watch YouTube. We didn't tell go them. Go and watch YouTube? Yeah, we didn't tell As them. As a computer to watch YouTube? Yeah, we Sounds didn't tell mental. them what to look for. We just go, said, go and watch YouTube. So they, we basically would take every video, cut it into 10 frames per second and okay. give them 10 frames per second. Okay? And so they're they watching would, reels. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> and swipe it, so right? They're watching reels. And, 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 and what they did is they started to look at those frames and look, look for patterns. Okay. Patterns meaning, uh, you know, if, if, the, if the color blue always does that on the screen, that's a pattern. Yeah. Right? But then a, a few, a, a bit of time later, one of them sort of, you know, metaphorically raised its hand and said, I found something. Okay? And we said, good. What did you find? Show us. Right? We had to write code to make it show us. And you're talking back and forth we, to this. We, you, yeah. you, you use code, right? So we, write, we wrote code to sort of regenerate the neural network. Yeah. And what it found was a cat. Okay? And we said, okay. But it didn't find a cat. It found what catness is. Right? It found that fluffy, annoying, entitled, <laughs> right? like literally every cat on YouTube had a catness to it. Oh, and like okay? an essence. An essence to it. And so we said, okay, call this a cat. <sighs> found every cat on YouTube and found every puppy, then found every dog, then I found every human, then found Instantly, every... Instantly, or how long does that take? Depends on the data availability. So if you, if you want to teach a, a, a computer to find a, a hieroglyphic, uh, you know, um, um, symbol, and there are, you know, 200,000 examples of it on the internet, it's very different than if you teach it to find the cat, and there yeah. are two, 200 billion of them on the internet, okay? And, and so, when we started to do that, computing changed because no longer did we need to code the machines and no longer did we need to prompt them. We could just literally tell them, tell us what you find, 
right? And they were just doing it themselves. And, and they would just do it. So that was quite an interesting era of, of, of intelligence and rarely ever spoken about. And then it became even better. So 2016, Jeffrey Hinton, who also is my colleague at Google, uh, you know, started to really push the idea of reinforcement learning. So what we used to do in the past is we would get, we would write a piece of code that teaches a computer intelligence. It doesn't teach it what a cat is, it just teaches it how to become intelligent. And if that code worked, we would keep it alive and improve it. If it didn't work, we would literally kill it. Okay, almost like neurons in your brain that don't work, you shut them down, okay? Jeffrey came and said, why are you killing it? Why don't you just tell it that it made a mistake? Okay, so if you showed a computer, uh, uh, you know, the number eight and said, what is this? And it said, it's six. You go like, no, it's actually eight. What would you do about your own cognition to make it look like an eight? Wow. And so the computer would go back and rewrite its own code to see it as an eight. Right? And that's where language models were born. So, so you know, chat, GPT, BARD, and so on came from that tiny little reinforcement learning, which, you know, for everyone in the room, that's what you should do with your partner and your kids and so on, right? <laughs> it's, it's very simple, huh? It's like, oh, you, you know, you misunderstood me. I meant this. Bing. Right? More intelligence is born. So you taught them how to teach themselves? Oh, they've been teaching themselves for a long time. So you talk about them being sentient beings. I believe um, that. Alive. I as such, that. yeah. Can you just explain to the people in the room who might not have listened to the other stuff what you mean by these machines are sentient? They have an awareness. You're saying they even have emotions. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's mental. <laughs> I is. can't get my head around that machines got. So, so define define emotions. What's an emotion? So an emotion to me is like a feeling. Is it? Sophie, oh, I feel feeling. No, That's my so, therapist telling me I'm wrong in the front. That's why I feel a feeling, right? No, an emotion, an emotion, a feeling is triggered by an emotion. An emotion is as, as ir irrational as they may, may seem sometimes, okay? For an engineer like myself, an emotion is literally algorithmic. Example? Uh, fear is a moment in the future is perceived by me to be less safe than this moment, okay? okay? Uh, uh, panic is that moment in the future where there is a threat is imminent. Okay. Um, uh, anxiety is uh, I know there is a threat in the future, but I doubt my capability to deal with it. They're very logical. Okay. Love is the only, you know, in slightly difficult one to explain. We can talk about that separately. But but most other emotions will have an algorithm to to them. Now, if if hate if if fear is a moment in the future is less safe than now. Okay, and that's the exact way a pufferfish feels fear, a cat feels fear, and a, a, or a, a human feels fear. What makes you think that a computer cannot make that calculation? Right. Okay. So, I mean, I think it's pretty frightening that you're telling me these things are like <laughs> sentient. No, so so also define sentience. So like, alive, aware, and like with emotion. So basically, is, is a, what is you're a tree saying, sentient? Pardon. Is a tree sentient? What's that mean? Does a tree have a life? Yeah. Yeah, why do you say that? Because it grows? Yeah. Yeah, computers grow. And it learns? They learn. And evolves, yeah. It, they evolve, okay? Because it, because it, uh, it has, uh, uh, um, you know, it reproduces, they yeah. do. Okay, so at what point were you at Google when you were like, ah, this is alive? <laughs> uh, and you thought, oh no. 
that's how I feel. So my, 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 my very eye-opening moment was when what is now famously known as the yellow ball moment. Yeah, so, tell so, us about so, that. So we had, uh, we had uh, invested, again, you know, so if, if you understand robotics, most of the robotics that you see in a Toyota factory are not robotics at all. These are high precision machines. Okay. Right. A high precision machine is one that is able to do the exact same uh, uh, movement over and over again. Yeah. Um, robotics, and they involve a lot of robotics, but they are not intelligent robots. Right? They're and just it, doing a job. Yeah. Right. An intelligent robot would be able to pick this thing without us ever change uh, ch teaching it how to do that. Right. And you have no idea how many billions of neurons will have to get engaged so that you learn this. This is a very, very complex bit, you know, feat of human intelligence because everything has a, a, a different shape, a different dimension, a different uh, um, you know, uh, properties, softness, and so on and so forth. And so if, if, you, if, you, mani if you wanted to pick this up like you pick a stone, you, you would break it. If you wanted to pick it up like you pick a feather, you wouldn't be able to carry it. So, so all of that is happening within your brain in a microsecond to be able to get you to do this an incredible intelligence. Now, to be able to program all of that into a computer, you know, if it's a cup, do this, and if it's the cup is a little 60 degrees off it, uh, of its center, do it this way, is a billion programs. It's impossible, right? So we thought we would teach them like we teach AIs. We, we, we get enough of those robotic arms, we put them in a farm. So you actually had loads of arms in a farm? Lo loads of robotic arms in a farm. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, and, and basically a camera next to each of them and the children's toys. Ah, funny. Okay. Uh, the, the programmers put children's toys on a tray, tray in front of them. And, and the, the arm would go down, would attempt to pick a toy. If it, it fails, it would show the camera that it failed. So the camera would record that this pattern didn't pick it, okay? And, and, the, and, and you keep doing it. And, you know, it's a, those arms are expensive, so it was quite a reasonably expensive project. It was on the second floor. I stayed, I, my office was the third floor. And I kept walking by it every day just for the uh, meditation of it. You know, it's very, very... Uh, it doesn't sound meditative. Me, me. No, it's for an engineer, it is. Okay. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> very meditative to look at, um, you know, a robotic arm. Two right? Very, very interesting. Okay? And so I would pass by it every day. Nothing's happening. And I go like, yeah, you know, it's good, good to try. We have a lot of money. It's okay. Right? Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but then uh, one day, uh, one of them goes down and picks a yellow ball. Okay, in, in front of my eyes. So I, it was a Friday afternoon after, after lunch, I'm walking up, it goes down, it picks a yellow ball, shows it to the, to the camera. And so I run to the team and I go like, congratulations, all of those millions of dollars for one ball, yeah. right? And they smile at me like, yeah, idiot, right? And, and yes, I was, because the next Monday, every, every arm is picking the yellow ball. You have to understand that. If, if you or I make a, you know, make a mistake while driving, you or I will learn. If a self-driving car makes a mistake while driving, every self-driving car on the planet learns, right? So by Monday, every arm knew how to pick the yellow ball. A couple of weeks later, every arm knew how to pick everything, okay? Wow. And, that, and, and this is a very, very common uh, approach to AI. So when, when we coded AlphaGo, AlphaGo is the, is the AI that won, um, won the game Go. Go is a very complex strategy game, very famous in, in Asia and China and Korea and so on. And, and when we coded AlphaGo, 
uh, I mean, deep-minded. Uh, they, 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 it took them around two and a half years to code the first one that won against the European champion. Yeah. And then it took them two and a half months to code the second one that won against the world, world champion, four to one. And then they developed another one that was called AlphaGo Zero, uh, that within three days won against AlphaGo, and within 21 days won against AlphaGo Master, and it had never in its life seen a game of Go. Understand that. So basically, we built an AI and told it to play against itself. And it's already winning against the, some of the smartest it, it, it won against the machine that is the world champion, 1,000 to zero, within 21 days. Right? So that, that rate of development of AI is what most people don't understand. This is why I'm screaming for the world to wake yeah, up. Yeah, I know when we went for lunch, you were telling me stuff, and I was like, Dude, I feel like everyone's let you out of the asylum and no one's listening. It's mental. It's very difficult to listen. So, so when, I, when, when Scary Smart, when my first book came out, uh, I was already reasonably well known. I had very, very good friends in the media world. And, uh, and I, I tell you openly, they would call me and say, no, we're not going to put you on, on TV. Who cares about AI? Right? And that, was, that was 2021. You see, the problem is with humanity, uh, again, with COVID. Hmm? Any intelligent human being will tell you we were bound to have a pandemic. We had SARS, we had swine flu, we had you know a million of them, and we have history that tells you uh, cyclically almost. You know, 1920 was the Spanish flu, 2020 yeah. was COVID. It's, it doesn't take it's a genius. Happen. Yeah, it's it doesn't take a genius. It's part of yeah. the of the cycle, huh? And yet, until it was here, nobody reacted. When it was here, we started to point fingers at each other. You know, the Americans saying China did it, and that. If, if we had stopped at patient 10, there would have n had never been COVID. But, but humanity doesn't get that. No. You're, you're, it has to be here and then hit you in the face well, and then you do something. By 2045, these machines will be a billion no, times... Much, much, much earlier now. Much earlier than now, yeah. okay. So when I, wrote, when I wrote Scary Smart, I said 2045. I now think it's definitely not later than 2037 and likely... Uh, 2033 or something. Because I was watching um, Stephen Hawking's last interview, actually, yeah. and he said the single most existential threat to humanity is AI. Yes, but also the, the single biggest opportunity. Okay. You, see, you see, the issue with AI, so, so let, me, let me say this openly for everyone, there is nothing inherently wrong with intelligence. If, I, if you gave me, uh, you know, 10 times more intelligence than I have, I'd solve so many more problems that are good for humanity. Why? Because I want to solve what's good for humanity. Nothing, yeah. nothing inherently wrong with intelligence. The, the, what is wrong is with our value set. And who's driving it? Correct. So if you, you know, I, I say that with, without trying to make every, anyone afraid. I, I have to say I am optimistic. I'll tell you honestly that one of the very few hopes that humanity has is AI. Okay? But I will tell you openly, when, when America developed a, a nuclear bomb, they used it. Do you understand that? They didn't need to use it, but they still used it. Hmm? And, and that's the game. The game here is we are in an arms race hmm? yeah. where, where the first company that solves a specific problem is at such a distinct advantage, unheard of in history, okay, that they, win, they will win their marketplace entirely. The first nation that figures out an yeah. AI that can find all of the nuclear codes of every place on the planet is game over. They win the power game, right? 
And so that race is what is wrong with our world. It's not AI itself. If you give me abundant intelligent, intelligence, I will solve cancer, I will reverse climate change, and I promise you, if you give me 10, just 10x more intelligence than what I have, I can build you a garden where you walk to one tree and pick an apple, and walk to another tree and pick an iPhone. Okay? I promise you with nanophysics, this is possible. Right? And, and just give me 10, 10x intelligence. But we can't stop it at 10x, can we? Because and we if, don't if, need to. No, but if this is coding itself and it's breeding itself, how are we meant to stop it when it gets to 10x? And We don't need to. Why, why, why do you think there is any problem with intelligence if it's aligned? But is it aligned? So, like, what's going yes, on? that's the question. So, this is what I'm saying. So, you have got all the global conglomerates. Does everyone actually come forward and say where they're at in their research? No. And, and they won't. And does it depend on who's funding it as well? Of course. So, this is... So it's this could be the end of humanity. Humanities, we know it, right? So, prime example, I've got a niece and she's putting her dissertation in a university. And she's putting it in chat. GDP. Mm -hmm. Now, for me, to be human, it means to have so many experiences. Is like to learn, to have motivation, to have connection. All of that she's had done in three minutes in chatbot well, GDP. Nothing, that, that, so not, it, it removes what it is to be human, though, and to have no, these experiences. I, I disagree. I mean, I'm an engineer. Okay, I am a serious math geek. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I when I was in uh, in engineering university. Uh, for the first three years, they wouldn't allow us to use uh, scientific calculators. <laughs> so what? I mean, you know, I didn't need it until they allowed me to. Like, oh my God, it made me so much more intelligent. Yeah. Why? Because I used the scientific calculator for accuracy of my calculations, number one. And number two, to save myself 30 seconds on every calculation is just massive improvement. Yeah, of course. Right? Nothing wrong with that. You see, here is the issue. The issue is... We are at a point, it's, you know, uh, Stephen Hawking calls it a singularity, right? Mm. We're at a point of singularity where, in, in my personal view, I am one of the most aggressive forecasters of this. I think we're going to hit AGI within two to three years. And what does that look like? AGI is, is one machine. So, chat GPT, so intelligence is multi layer. Yeah. Okay? There are lots of masculine intelligence, intelligences fitting within IQ that include linguistic and mathematical and so on and so forth, right? ChatGPT is the, the, is the absolute leader of linguistic intelligence, okay? Uh, uh, mathematics were not that good yet, but we, I think by next year, so, so complex reasoning and complex math, or we call it deep reasoning and complex math, they're not good yet. So ChatGPT sits at the top 11% of SAT tests, yeah. but it doesn't do very well in complex math tests. Okay, within a year or two, it will be the world champion in that, right? The, all of that is on the IQ side. We're not teaching it EQ. We're not teaching it intuition. We're not teaching it paradoxical thinking. We're not teaching it, which are all feminine intelligences. Okay, we're not teaching it teaching it empathy. Okay, uh, we're not teaching it inclusion. All of these are forms of intelligence that make a human smarter, but the machines don't know that yet. Right? Here is the in interesting thing. The interesting thing that also, so far, each of those is a silo. So the, the, the Instagram recommendation engine or the TikTok recommendation engine or whatever are the absolute masters of human ma manipulation. Yeah. They're the smartest thing on the planet to manipulate a human. Wow. They will know exactly what you like, 
when you like it, how to show it to you, and then how to insert two disappointments in the middle so that you feel rewarded when you get a nice video and you get that you know, a dopamine rush and then you keep swiping. Wow. Absolute masters. But they wouldn't be able, if you ask them a question like you asked ChatGPT, they wouldn't be able to answer. Okay? If you went to ChatGPT and said, show Mo his favorite video, it wouldn't be able to answer. Okay? So they're not on the same page. So each of those is known as an artificial special intelligence. Okay? Two things will happen in the next few years. Each of those artificial special intelligences will get massive amounts of money poured into them. Right? Uh, and so they'll become more and more and more intelligent. But then they'll start to talk to each other. And as they start to talk to each other, most, most, most you know, techies will, will tell you there will be one company that will figure out how to build one AI that is smarter than humans in everything. I don't think that will happen. I think what will happen is AIs will ignore us and start to talk to each other behind our backs and become one big brain or several big brains. So that's scary. It's not. There's nothing inherently wrong with intelligence. But they're being driven, and I know you spoke about like we need to install, the only way is to install ethics into them. Correct. But by whose standards? Because my thing is like, see what's going on with Israel and Palestine now. You, we've got two different levels of standards, right? We don't. <laughs> Who here in, if, in the room approves of killing a child? No one. No one. We, don't, we do not have different standards. We are subjected to idiotic intelligence. But there are people that do think it's okay because to kill a child. Because they're blinded. No, no human instinctively wants to kill a child. And if you, if, you, if you understand that, you understand that what is happening is that we are manipulating stupid minds by giving them a reason to accept something that's not ethical. Okay? Right. So, so I'm, you know, I really don't talk about this topic publicly, but the truth is this. The truth is if Hamas killed your child, kill Hamas, okay? Don't kill anyone else, and don't kill a child that Hamas is hiding behind. You don't get that? Imagine that they're hiding behind your own child, okay? Don't kill a human, that's ethics. Don't kill anything, that's ethics, right? And we don't disagree on this unless we're blinded and stupid. But people do disagree because they're 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 at because war they're now. Stupid. So there are people that will say, like you know, Thomas Aquinas talks about having a just war. That there's no just things, war. I agree, but there are people out there that are blowing each other up today, knowing that children are being killed. That are not listening. To, that don't believe what you're saying, and they'll say it's the lesser of two evils. Yes. So, so give that's me, what I'm saying. So give me intelligence. So that problem can be solved by intelligence. That problem can be solved by getting those idiots that are blinded and given a reason to kill someone, okay, and tell them, by the way, with more intelligence, hmm, you would see the truth. You would see the truth of what it's like to kill a child. You would see the truth of all of the other alternative methods we can do to solve this issue, okay, without killing anyone. So, so here's the trick. The trick is ethics are very simple. There are no standards of ethics. Ethics is... Treat others as you want to be treated. This is it. This is it. Okay? So if, if, if I don't want my child to be killed and, I, and my child was killed, then nobody else should freaking suffer that. You understand this? No other parent should ever suffer, Israeli or Palestinian or Ukrainian. Or, no other parent should ever suffer that. That's ethics. It's very simple. Now, the problem in our world is that 
we are blinded by a system that is pro-agendas and negativity driven. So, so you get people's attention when you create conflict. Yeah. Okay? And we're so stupid to pull ourselves into that. When in reality, all you need to do is to actually highlight to people the truth. And, and the truth is not that difficult. You can actually, with enough intelligence, you can say exactly those many people struggled, those many actions were taken, this is now the exchange rate between the value of an Israeli life and the value of a Middle Eastern life, mm. and that exchange rate is not fair, especially if what you're killing is not the one that killed you. So do you think we're at a stage with AI now that that could help now? I'm dreaming to make it work. So you see, my, my I, I, we spoke about this, but my, my issue is that, unfortunately, there is no commercial value to ethics. Yeah. So, okay? so, so there is a commercial value to creating a bomb, creating a robot, creating a, a, um, you know, a, um, uh, a new computer. There is a commercial value in expanding this, your services or making your customer support cheaper. There are commercial values in this. And we, are, we live in a world, a capitalist world, nothing wrong with capitalism. We live in a capitalist world that identifies the only worthy target to chase as money. Okay, I want to end my life as a billionaire, but a, a happiness billionaire. I want one billion happy, right? And I, and I use capitalist methods. This is capitalism. Yeah, it's great. But so you and I had this discussion, and we were talking about AI, and I said I don't get it. And a bit like what you've just said now, we can find two billion cats or whatever on YouTube. So if I lay out eight pictures now of child pornography, mm -hmm. you and I know which ones got child pornography, right? So if this machine's smarter than me, that also knows. But there's Soon. no one stopping that. I'm hoping to work on it. Because that's where it can start to so, be so, useful. So you see, the, you see, the issue is there is no incentive for a developer. To stop child pornography. There's not enough money. The, the, exactly. Mm. So if I put money behind it, there Someone's might be an incentive. And that's in exactly my ambition. I mean, I too early to discuss that, but my ambition is to create a commercial incentive for people to stop child pornography, for people to identify. Did you know 70% of women on porn are human trafficked? Okay, there is a way for us to intelligently, with more intelligence, identify this. And there probably is now, right? It just if the money was behind it. And isn't that sad? It's miserable. Because human trafficking, and one of my guests here today, Lerata, like, it's, it earns more money than drugs. Like, and we could put a stop to that, but no one cares because we it's not We can't put money. a stop to that, but we can make it a little harder. Okay? We, the, the problem with human trafficking, trafficking, sadly, is it's a demand issue, not a supply issue. Okay? As, so I, I, I worked on this m my entire life, and it's, this, it's really depressing because if you save a woman and the demand is still there, They'll, they'll kidnap another woman. Another woman, yeah. Right? You, but, but, but let's not be depressed. We can make this very difficult, right? We can also make the truth easier. We can also make, uh, um, you know, um, I, I have many, many projects in my mind. One is to rewrite history. Do, do you understand that most of the history that you know is written in English? Yeah. Okay? What if I actually had a machine that could read history in every language and tell me it seems likely that it's, this is not exactly what happened. 
because as I as I go across all languages, there seems to be more references. Yeah, and that, and discrepancies. Just highlight the discrepancies for me. If, if you haven't, if you have watched, there was an incredible documentary Oliver Stone uh, called "The um, Untold History of the uh, of the United States." Incredible documentary, because it blows you away. Yeah. Suddenly you go like, yeah, this is exactly what happened, and then he says, no. This is not what happened at all. Here are references if you really look at it from different angles. Look, so many things that we humans are, um, um, what do you do when you, when blind, bl blindfolded, we, you know, yeah. when you put things next to the horse's eyes, right? Yeah, we, we, they're basically blindfolding us, okay? And I don't mean they, they're nobody, uh, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm, I'm just saying the system, the systemic bias of our world is taking us more and more and more in the direction where we're becoming idiots, okay? And, and we need more intelligence. There's nothing inherently wrong with intelligence. It just feels that inside of these conglomerates, like Google X or Microsoft <coughs> or whatever, all these people in this arms race to get the best AI and to come up with it, are there, is there like a corporate social responsibility within it where they're accountable for making changes like the child pornography or the human trafficking, or is it simply a case of what's the most lucrative? They're not, this is not the, the, their, uh, their objective sheet. So uh, uh, an organization, if you belong to our organization, if I'm the CEO of a company today, my number one responsibility is to enhance shareholder value. Can't blame me for doing that as long as I'm legal, you know, I'm doing things legally. You can't blame me for doing that. It's my job. Mm. It's what I'm paid for, right? Someone else needs to have a job that says, and I'm going to do something good for the world. Yeah. And, and if we can find ways where we can all align and, and create that commercial value of eradicating child pornography, there will be people working on it. If we find a way to, to, you know, to get together and say, let's just be a little, uh, you know, a little more uh, courteous to each other in our communication. Imagine if I, if I built an AI so that when you're arguing with your partner, okay, uh, you know, he puts the AI and the AI says, oh, she loves you. Right? But because when you're arguing, she loves you. Yeah, but that, to me, you're getting rid of human connection. I want to say something. I don't want to talk to a machine. I no, want to get no, off he's, my chest. He's, he's standing in front of the yeah, machine. Yeah, yeah. You just don't understand. We don't get you when you're shouting. <laughs> okay? So, so, so we, we, we're standing there like idiots going like, what does she mean? Right? And if someone told me what she means, I'll be, I'll be much better equipped to, to deal with the situation. So much in the world. I mean, all of those hate speeches being exchanged on the internet today, is, is all loss in translation. It's all, it's all us not understanding each other. It's, I mean, anybody that shouts on the internet has an upside in my eyes, which is at least they're passionate about something, mm. okay? But maybe what they're passionate about is misinformed. Maybe I'm misinformed, or maybe there is a different way to talk. For me, it feels like, I uh, don't wanna be all doom and gloom, but um, the like end of humanity as we all, how, what it is as we know it to be human because we're going to be you're talking Th walking alongside sure. machines this is for sure so look humanity as we know it has ended okay it's just a matter of time but that doesn't mean that humanity that's coming is worse it, it doesn't mean that we should be pessimistic about this the the the, the thing is to understand this uh, humanity as we know it ended many times before yeah right? so you know when we started the agricultural revolution humanity ended yeah. And then when we started the industrial revolution, humanity ended. We, 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 you know, when we started to move to big cities, humanity ended, as we know it, right? It doesn't mean that where we ended up is a bad place. The, the, the thing is that those transitions are painful. 
Hmm? So you take the current transition I always define. Most people talk about the existential risk of AI, AI taking over and, you know, RoboCop killing all of us. That's not, I mean, there is a probability of that, but it's tiny. Okay, the, the true probabilities, uh, what, I, what I believe are the real threats is job losses and the, and the impact of on purpose, okay, and income. Mm? Uh, the, there is the concentration of power and how one person getting access to the superpower of the world, which is intelligence, can actually c concentrate power and wealth in yeah. ways that we don't have never seen before. Uh, it is the, uh, it is the uh, end of the truth. So it, it becomes really, really complicated how we can find out what is true anymore, okay? It, it, it is, uh, you know, it's the issues around uh, abuse of AI, so a yeah. hacker or a, you know, a, a, a biological weapon maker or whatever can use AI to become a little more evil. And if you just put all of those things together, these are immediate uh, uh, challenges that are upon us. And, and I, I actually blame people that talk about the existential risk because you're taking the attention away from what is right now. Yeah, so you talk about us being in this transition phase, which I, I think most of us in this room can feel like that. And it's like even we need to reevaluate the way we work and etc. And I've got friends that work in corporate companies that have had new jobs in COVID and never been in, right? Had virtual drinks with their friends, right? And for me... It's like, how, how are we going to find our purpose and everything like that? If we're, if we're losing connection and like machines are going to do a lot for us. And like, I feel like, you know, everyone's got like a little hierarchy. We're all becoming one like under a machine. Do you know what I mean? Because like, we're becoming Possibly. lazy as a species, right? Possibly. My mates don't want to go in. They have, what, when you can have a virtual drink. It's but, possible. Yeah, but, okay. But it's also possible that, uh, that we with our scientific calculators become better, right? It's, it's possible that when you tell me uh, AI will re eliminate human connection, it's possible, yeah. okay? But I could probably build a dating app hmm, w with AI that simply finds you the one person that actually works. I, yeah. I, I, right? I yeah. mean, I, I, I wrote about the topic, never published it, but, but the, the problem with dating hmm, is a mathematical problem. It's that if you, if you have five things that you're looking for in a person, yeah. okay, and the, each of those five things is available one in 10 people, okay, if you do the math, you're not looking for one in 50, you're looking for one in 10,000. It's 10 by 10 by 10 by 10 by 10, right? It's the n square problem. Hmm? And, and so basically, if, you, if I could get, spend enough time with you on an AI and get to really know you, I could find you that one in 10,000. But then you're not being open to what you said about luck and opportunity, being in the places how, how has and being alive. So <laughs> Touch and go, Mo, actually. Then you go. <laughs> so so, so the, the, the idea of love, hmm? uh, but by the way, we don't go out there looking for love. I, I think we go out there looking for other things. But the idea is that you're looking for a match. Hmm? Right. And, and that match is blurred by our judgment. Hmm? Because we're not intelligent enough when we're romantic and, sorry to say, horny. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> right? right. And, and, and so is there an AI out there that can help you and say, look, by the way, you are in fact looking for someone that wants, that has this, this, this and that. And I know three that you should meet. Meet them first before the rest of it. But I sent them your profile and they weren't interested, Brogan. <laughs> is that what they're gonna say? <laughs> they looked you up online and didn't fancy it. Yeah. But like, you're, you're, you're being positive, right? 
But you're telling people not to have kids. Yeah, I don't think, I think people shouldn't have kids anyway. <laughs> I mean, no, honestly, you're telling we one, you're once again, scared. once again, I'm, I, I'll, I'll be very open. Huh? It's the biggest responsibility you've ever been given to bring a third party life into this planet. Okay. Yes. And, and you know, when you're 16, or I don't know what's the age here, they take you to a, a, a place and test you before they give you a driving license. 17, uh, yeah. 17. Driving license. While in reality, they don't test you if you're a good parent or not. Right? No. And, and, and it's quite interesting when you think about it, hmm, that it is the biggest responsibility a human being will ever be given. So I'm actually telling people, look, your role as a parent, and I'm a loving parent, okay? Yeah. Uh, I, I think I did okay with my kids. Hmm? Uh, I made mistakes, but I did okay. Hmm? The, my, my view is, please, before you, get, you bring this miserable soul into the world, okay, <laughs> ask yourself if you're, if you're capable of giving it a good life. Okay? If the answer is yes, go right ahead. Hmm? And I'm saying in this current time, with the current complexities of the world we're living in, AI is just one. But I, I openly say, and again, not in a pessimistic way, we're about to hit some of the most interesting speed bumps on the planet. Look it, what we're doing to each other. Well, well, yeah, whether it's, it's climate, whether it's you know, geopolitical, whether it's economic, whether it's, you know, there are interesting challenges coming up. If you believe you have what it takes to bring a child and, and give it what it deserves in this environment, you're not economically challenged, you're not you know, in, a, in, a, in a place that could become a war zone, if you, you're not, and so on, go, go right ahead. But, but, and I, I think my, my statement was misinterpreted. I was saying, think about it. You know, wait and think about it. Because if you're not feeling that you can do that, it's your number one responsibility to, to that innocent life to not make it suffer. Mm. Okay? You know, basically, look at yourself, work on yourself, get yourself ready, and go right ahead. Mm. But, but if you're not ready, it's not fair for that life. So how, how would you say we can almost guarantee, because in your book, right, you talk about the fact that there could be a war and then a utopia. Yeah, and one of the Again, nicest scenarios, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> just great. Um, and it's up to us to act. Now, yeah. um, I don't speak for everyone in the room, but I feel pretty powerless. You're not at all. In can you tell us how we can act? You're, you're the most powerful in that game, not the developers, not the government, not anyone. Each and every one of us. So, so the Instagram recommendation engine, I use that example as one of the AIs that yeah. you're very familiar with. Okay. Once that code is written, hmm, no engineer touches it. No engineer ever tells the machine uh, to show you this video or that video. Okay. Who tells the machine to show you this video or that video? You. By what I search. Exactly. By your actions. Okay. You know, if you're very interested in violent videos, it's going to show you more violent videos. If you're more interested in silly stuff, it will show you more silly stuff. Okay. And interestingly, it will also tell influencers to produce more of those. Okay. And so they will produce more of those. So the big picture of availability of popular videos will change. And so you'll be seen, you'll be showing, shown more of what you've so seeded need, in the world. We need to get intentional about what 100%. we're consuming. Yeah. If you, if you, if you, so, so I, you know, we spoke about children. Yeah. Okay. What's the number one responsibility of a parent? To be the right role model. I was okay. going to say keep them alive, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just feed them, water them. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Beyond that. Yeah. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, but, 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 the, but, you know, the idea is which, which are our real children in this current time? They're those unartificially intelligent infants. 
they're learning from us. So ChatGPT, with all of its intelligence, is 4,300 lines of code. I could write this in my sleep. Oh, wow. Right? It's not the code. It's the 2.1 trillion, I don't know what, how many gigabytes that, that, the, that the code is working on. It's, it's, the, it's the human set of knowledge that creates the intelligence of those machines. Wow. So if we give it the right knowledge, okay, it will become more and more and more intelligent, more balanced, more ethical. Okay? If we show it more feminine, it will, be, it will develop EQ. Okay? If we show it more uh, uh, languages across the world, or at least get a little bit outside California, okay, it will become a little more inclusive. Mm? And that's the challenge we have. The challenge we have is that you and I are the teachers. We are the parents of that machine. Our personal machines. Is that uh, kind of what uh, you but mean? But the personal machine is one neuron in a, in, a, in a neural network. That's feeding back. That's feeding back that big brain. So let's go back to the big brain and you talk about them learning off the mainframe. So in Japan, I heard through the grapevine that they are training robots for war. So if that's learning off the mainframe... In Japan only? Well, everywhere, but I just remember Japan. Mm -hmm. So we'll throw them under the bus for the sake of it. But they're <laughs> training robots for war. So then surely all the other little AIs want to go to war. Why? Because of the prisoner's dilemma. Because of the same place we're in. If, if someone figures out a war AI that, that overpowers every other power, okay, that, that nation is at a very distinct advantage. Okay? So every other nation is saying, I should be that nation so that they don't beat me. Mm. This is basically humanity selfishly looking at its own individual benefit. There are examples in history where we got together and said, well, that's not going to be good for all of us. Mm -mm. Right? Nuclear treaties are a very good example of that. To simply say, hey, uh, by the way, yes, you could probably bomb them but your people will suffer too, right? Is there a way we could get together as humanity and decide, mm, not good idea? Yeah, no robots. Right? So, so, so I think, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we're not going to have to wait to a COVID moment mm, for nations to come together and start saying that, right? And I think my work, your work, everyone that is shouting and screaming about this is trying to say it's inevitable. Yeah, if I feel we like continue, If we continue on that track, we will eventually slaughter each other, mm. okay? So can we please try to look at the, uh, at the possibilities and, and the probabilities of this happening and decide that it's actually nice to have an AI treaty. It's actually nice to, to not, to prioritize humanity above our individual tribal interests. Yeah. And I think it will happen, okay? The question is, when will it happen? After we've blown each other up. Not necessarily. Be be more optimistic. Okay. okay? After after we've uh, we've realized the damage, realized the damage could be through us advocating it. Yeah, and I feel like there is an awakening that's going on now. Hundred percent. Like people becoming more conscious. A hundred percent. But you touched on it earlier, and I just want to go there. You're talking about you're on a mission, aren't you, to make one billion people happy? That's a tall order. It's How? Not. How, how are you doing that? 
I think so an exclusive for you yes please that I've never said anywhere before we've got a few exclusives today haven't we I don't know I don't, I don't, I don't even know what I've said I'll be feeding them I everywhere go on. Yeah, I'm probably going to be cancelled at the end of it yeah but, I will yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, uh, so I actually feel it already happened it's, it has not happened yet but mathematically it happened so if you, if you, th- if you look at the n- amount of content that's out there I think, th- I think three things happened since we started uh, One Billion Happy one is the, uh, that, that, uh, that happiness replaced the world mental health, or at least added, was added mm. to, the world mental, uh, to the world mental health. So there seems to be an awareness hmm, in the world now that happiness is actually one of my rights. I, sh- I should actually aim for that. It's not just I want to be okay. I also deserve to be happy. So there has been a shift. At the beginning, you know, Tal Ben Shahar and, 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 you know, quite a few of us, the, the little gang that was trying to advocate happiness, especially in the workplace, were laughed at. Okay? But then, but then since 2016, 2017, we're starting to see a shift where people are saying, no, no, we really need to focus on this. Mm. This is one thing. As a result of that, I think there has been enough uh, content developed that fits the real world. There, there has always been, happiness is not a, 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 a secret puzzle. Hmm? It just has always been written in a language that was written 12,000 years ago, yeah. 2,000 years ago, right? And most, not everyone in the modern world is able to understand spirituality or, you know, practice or, you, you know, silent retreats and, what did you call it? I the, didn't do the silent retreat. No. Oh, yeah. I did, uh, no, I didn't really stick to it, did yeah. I, Joe? <laughs> Did I? Yeah. He was like, yeah. by day three, he wanted to talk to me. I said, no, I can't talk. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right? <laughs> it was my so, turn to so, be so these are these are practices that work, but they're not fit for everyone in the modern no. world. I think what changed in the last five, ten years is that we're starting to get more and more, you know, modern world fit practices of happiness, right? And the third, which is really interesting, is if you do the mathematics. Hmm? Uh, I was never in one billion happy. I never aimed to reach a billion people myself. It's impossible. No. I mean, it took Jesus 2,000 years to do that, right? It, the, 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 the idea is if you use six degrees of separation and if every person tells two people who tell two people who tell two people, right, then eventually that, that Ripple uh, effect. The, the positive Ponzi scheme, I call it. Okay. Right? <laughs> the, eventually that tree at the bottom, hmm, uh, you know, becomes really, really wide. And, and the way that happens is through something that's known as the law of accelerating returns. So the law of accelerating returns is actually what drives technology as well, is the idea that if, if one person told two people, then you moved from one to two. And then they, those told two people each, it's now four, and yeah. then it's 16, and then it's 32, and then it's 64, right? It, the doubling function. Hmm? The doubling function of, of something doubling over and over and over, hopefully you will get to a point where we think we now are in the 50, 60 million, but two or three doublings away, hmm, that 50 million becomes a billion. Not because I said anything yeah. more, or because any of the other teachers said anything more, but because everyone is talking about it now. And But like the algorithm in AI has enabled you to do that as well, at a faster rate. I, I, th- I, th- I have to admit, and I say that with a, you know, a, a, a painful heart, a, a pained heart, yeah. no, the algorithm prefers girls with nice, nice butts. Yeah, okay? naked girls. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Huh? So, so, you know, some, some of us really try really hard to put a positive message out in the world. And, Maybe and you should do it topless. 
And to, <laughs> that would, would be tanked fully. I can guarantee you that. Uh, but but that's the game. The game. I'll nominate a few girls the, in the, the room. The, cool. the game. The game here. Actually, yes. If any of the lovely girls in the <laughs> room want to go topless and promote what, happiness, let us exactly, know. Exactly. Like like take anything I've ever yeah, written yeah. and and we'll say just facilitate the book yeah, to them. Yeah. Hundred percent. So so. But that again, I don't blame that. The algorithm is responding to human preferences. Okay. And this is not human preferences, right? And that and is though. There you go. So do it. We're gonna, aren't we? Mm? Yeah, do it now. No, so so the, 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 idea, the idea is the algorithm is not favorable, okay? But that doesn't necessarily mean that the need is not there, okay? So sooner or later, what ends up happening is that one of your friends will say, I can't take this anymore, I need to work on myself, right? And, and in, you know, a few years ago, there was no resource if they needed to work on themselves unless they got lucky to meet the right teacher in their neighborhood and, and so on and so forth. This is changing very drastically. And, and you can see that, you know, if, uh, I, I've been very, very blessed that those who read Soul for Happy, for example, were recommended to others. They'll give it as That's Christmas gifts to others, right? I told you through yeah. my sister. Yeah. So, so, so the idea here is that it's not extra work on my side anymore, okay? It's, it's now in the community. And as the community continues to grow, we actually might make it. It's quite interesting. And it, if we don't, by the way, one billion is just a, a symbolic uh, ambition, okay? If we, if together you and I today made two more, two, two, two people more think about their happiness, it's a, it's a gain. Yeah. Right. It, that's what it's all about. Well, I think you've given us a lot of food for thought, but it wouldn't be getting their podcast without a couple of. Uh, can we bang up the picture of him? <laughs> the other one. Yeah. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Where were you here? Is that you or your cousin? Do we know? <laughs> So my, my daughter saw this for the first time when she was 13, and the first thing she said is, hotty patati. So I was, <laughs> I was she like, jumped. what? And she said, oh, you, you had hair. And so yes, so I had hair. That was me, actually. And where were you? Did you just finish university? I think this was my first day at IBM or something. Yeah, it looks very professional. Yeah. So. No, you, if it was IBM, I would have had a tie. OK. Something. What was life meant to look, at, look like for Mo in that picture? So I was a carpenter at the time. What? Yeah. You get crazier every time we meet. I am quite yeah, yeah, yeah. out there. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I, I finished uni. I was madly in love with my, uh, by then, six years girlfriend. Yeah. And all I wanted in life was to just be a carpenter. I, I, love, I love those things. And I really am a good carpenter. And I basically uh, started a workshop and made a bit of money. And I was OK, happy. And then if you know the Egyptian culture, you had to go to her father and appeal to the father as a good salesman. And so I had to find a job. And so I went to IBM and then, you know, I was a very serious geek. So I, you know, they, they, they were like, yeah, where have you been? Like, and so we, we, I was hired. Then I ended up uh, becoming a systems engineer and then a professional. Uh, but what did you think life was going to look like that you were just going to yeah what my did you lifetime think my dream at that moment was by uh, within 11 to 16 years i will be a sales manager at ibm and then you would have cracked it at, at ibm egypt yeah that was my absolute lifetime dream so you surpassed that yeah. 10 hundred times x yeah it was weird really. do you um remember walking in the first day of the job in the google office did you have like an imposter do, yeah. syndrome yeah, yeah. 
No, I want, no, actually, so I, the first time I went into the Google office, I think he's listening. Uh, my boss at the time introduced me to the leadership team. So we, I, I arrived at the day where there was a leadership team. And so he said, uh, hi, everyone, this is Mo. And he brings the average age of the company up. <laughs> oh, okay. And he, and he said nothing else. I swear, that was it. Was it. Uh, hey, everyone, I, you know, I, I come with those from many years of experience in this and that. And he was uh, almost interrupted me and said, OK, so let's start the business. Let's just carry on. Yeah. So, I, so the truth is, I actually, when I went to Google, I, I really brought the average age up. I was 40 at the time. And, uh, and yeah, the average age of the company was like, I think, 14 or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and it was actually quite an interesting experience because when I went into the Google office, I have to tell you, one of the top eye-opening experiences was I thought I figured it out. I thought I knew that stuff, okay? And so my boss said, you know, it's a complex region. I want you to take your time. And, uh, and, you know, and give me a plan for what we're planning to do. And I said, yeah, six days. And he said, if you do it in six weeks, I'll be very happy, but six months is also okay. Okay. Right? And, and I, act, I have to admit to you, it just m blew my mind uh, over the following seven or eight weeks how complex that thing was. Yeah. I mean, for a math geek, uh, Google was heaven. It was so complex so interestingly algorithmic and mathematical and those engines were so pretty right in, a, in such a beautiful way everything was highly mathematical and so I submerged myself into this and uh, yeah and I have I, I suddenly realized I wasn't that smart at all so the thing the thing about Google is that everyone in that corridor was smarter than me I'd have no chance <laughs> but you're, no, listen, you're, if you could you go have, back to that. You have a very, very uh, valuable form of intelligence. Not, not all no. intelligence is IQ. No. So, so one, of, one of the most defining moments of my life was 2018, when I actually I, I accepted to open up to my feminine intelligence. I, I will tell you openly, I'm four times smarter as a result. Yeah. So, so all of, you see, the feminine has intuition. Mm -hmm. It has paradoxical thinking. That's heaven of, of intelligence but that that's that's a paradoxical thinking the ability to hold two opposing concepts as true at the same time very feminine yeah uh, yeah is the core of quantum physics this is the core of our universe the duality of our universe is entirely about two opposing concepts at the same time men we don't do that right we're so so narrow focused hmm, that we miss the possibility of an entire n different paradox Okay, that could be the answer to the problem. Yeah. Right. And so you add those forms of intelligences, hmm? because when when you say you ha you would have no chance, you would have a mega chance. It's just a different form of intelligence. Everyone in this room would have a mega chance if they understood where their power lies. That's fantastic. If you could go back to that guy on the first day when he walks in, what if you could tell your younger self something? What would you tell him? Oh, I always say that publicly, that life is a video game. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Like, so, 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 so you see, you get very serious about life. You get very serious about, you know, trying to win the game. Hmm? But, yeah, you win the game of life, that you should switch off the game console and you die. Right? The, 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 there are two types of games. There is a, what is known as a, a finite game. Tennis is a finite game. We mm. play several matches, one wins, one loses, right? Most other, most games, most true games are infinite. 
infinite games are games that don't have a, 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 a there. They don't have a destination. No, yeah? and, and when you're when you're playing an infinite game, the purpose of the game is to play. Is the game. It's, to play. it's just to play. It's just to show 100%. up. Just to be. That's it. Oh, right? so and so and so when you really understand life, hmm, when all of the challenges that we spoke about with artificial intelligence and climate change and all of that stuff, yeah, it's part of the game. Hmm? And and you know you know what? The only thing you can do to influence the game is to become the best gamer you can become. And how do you become the best gamer? Play. There you go. That's wow. the answer. So see, the answer is, with all that's happening in my life, or all the pressures that I put on myself, I'm having the time of my life. I'm completely in flow, okay? And when challenges show up, I go like, oh, yes, let me show you. I can do this, right? And then I get punched a few times, I fall a few times, and it's just an avatar, who cares? Yeah. Right? You get up and you try again. That's what real gamers do. Real gamers, we don't play to win. Do you understand that? You just play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I ba so I am a very serious video gamer. I, oh, okay. I'm like top two of, of every million players in the game that I play, two can beat. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm, yeah, and I appear online as a 16-year-old. I use all of the... Oh, yeah, Film the dark I, web. I use, yeah, I use all of the foul language. If you know my, yeah. my gamer's game, it's really rude. Are you talking okay. in slang and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah and I'm really... And I'm the, I don't know if any of you have played Halo, but I'm the one that killed you yesterday. So, so yeah, yeah. it's very, very clear, right? But, but, but that's the idea. The idea is when you're gaming that, at that level, hmm, it's quite interesting. When I get challenges, I, you, you have to practice in campaign mode, okay? When you get a challenge, you don't try to escape it. You keep rewinding it. So, you, you know, you, you do it and then you go, go through and then you go back and do it again. And then you get killed again and then you try again and then you try again. The, 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 the objective of the game is you. It's not the game. The objective wow. of the game is for you to become the best potential gamer you have the potential to come. Okay? And, and that's it. So if it, I, I've done a lot of interesting things in my life. I've lived probably 17 lives. I don't know. I know. That's why I didn't know where to start today. I thought, oh, happiness, AI. Oh. I, I, don't, I don't know why I was blessed with all of this, but I really lived a lot of lives with a lot of pain and a lot of joy and a lot of gifts and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, um, um, theft and a lot of everything. I've seen everything, okay? At least I believe I've seen, seen everything. But, but the idea is for every one of those games, I was so intense. I was so like, ah, you know, I need to fix it and I need to fix it today, not tomorrow. Mm. And now I'm so chill. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just having the time of my life. Well, I've had the time of my life having you on here today. Thank you so much for and having me. And it has been, honestly, a privilege and an honour to be able to talk to you and to have everyone spend your Sunday afternoon, show up. Yeah, um, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I need you all to remain seated, please. <laughs>